Let's turn our attention back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, where I want to start at verse number 8, where we left off last session talking about prayer. And it appears pretty clearly here that we're talking about a public worship service where there is the assembling together of the saints uh, at Ephesus, where we're talking about right now, uh, in order to pray to God and sing and praise and then to hear the reading of the word and the proclaiming of application of that word, something we would call preaching or teaching. So this is the formal worship service that we're talking about. And Paul wants it to stay focused on God and not to be sidetracked by personal personal things, such as not getting along with other people, getting in arguments. So that was where we were kind of wrapping up yesterday on verse number 8 where Paul says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So we've got people doing the public prayers in the church service, and they are doing the very ancient practice of lifting hands up in supplication to God, in praise of God. And he says, don't be putting those hands up Uh, if they've been also used in arguing and being angry with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to be focused on proper relationship. And then, having kind of addressed the, the male side of the equation, he then turns it over to the lady's side. He says, likewise also, that women should adorn themselves in respect respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. So the ladies coming to church should not be coming to a fashion show, should not be coming to show off their wealth or their beauty. Uh, That's not what the point is. Now, it's okay for them to dress nice and all of that. That's not what Paul is against. He's, He's criticizing the idea of making it all about you, ladies. Don't make it about you. He says, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, uh, but rather with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now, we understand the thrust of this a little bit more thanks to Peter's application of this same idea in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 of his letter. And I believe it was clear he'd been reading from the Apostle Paul recently when he wrote these. Uh, He said in uh, verse number 1 of chapter 3 in 1 Peter, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands. So that's a biblical concept we've talked about a couple of times in recent weeks. Um, So that even if any of your own husbands uh, are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. 
So that's Paul or Peter's example. He says, ladies, be submissive even to your non-believing husbands. Be in that partnership role with him being the, uh, the senior member of the team when decisions have to be made. Um, because then you might actually convince him just by your actions that Jesus Christ has made a difference in your life and can make a difference in his life. Uh, so it's not a matter of preaching at them, but living in front of them. And then he makes the application that uh, ties into where we're at in First Timothy. He says, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, putting gold jewelry on, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. So he says, if you're going to get dressed up with something, get dressed up with God. Get dressed up with the spirit that God has given you, the lifestyle that God has given you, because that is going to help save people. The clothing, that might be nice. The hairstyle, that might be nice as well. But that's not going to save people. So the focus in the church service should not be on the quarrels going on between men and other people, but rather the fact that they're raising up prayers on behalf of the rest. And the focus should not be on the ladies' clothing, the ladies' fashion statements. It should be on the fact that those ladies represent Jesus Christ, whether they're in the church assembly or they're at home or out at the uh, work or, or work or school or, or um, recreation site. It doesn't matter where they're at. It should be about their lifestyle. That's what people should be focused on. So that's what I think Paul was trying to get across as he's writing to Timothy, is help these ladies understand that it shouldn't be about their clothing when they come to church. That's not what it should be about. It should be about their lifestyle. Now, since he's speaking about the ladies, and since he's also clearly speaking about the worship service, Paul now delves into something that causes a great big deal of trouble for people today. And that is that women are not to be the preachers and teachers in the worship service. That's just what Paul writes. He says in verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. Now, worship service, I believe, is the context here in 1 Timothy, as I already said. We know for a fact that it is in mind in the other place where Paul says something like this, in 1 Corinthians 14.34, where he writes, the women are to keep silence in the churches. So he's not talking about the buildings. That's not what's in his mind. He's talking about the worship service. 
for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. And then he says, was it just for, was it from you that the word of God first went forth? Or has it come to you only? Uh, and so then he reminds them, if anyone is a prophet or a spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Uh, so Paul is very strong on it. He says, if you want to argue about it, you're not arguing with me, you're arguing with God. Now, what's the, what's the reason for this? It is not because women are less valuable than men. Most certainly not, because that is not the case. It has everything to do, Paul says, with things from the past. Now, you've heard me touch on this topic a couple of different times in recent weeks. And that is submission is something that has come into play because of chaos threatening families. Uh, when Adam and Eve were first made, they were made for each other. And they were to be a team. They were to be the queen and king of the universe. But sin came into the world. And when sin came into the world, problems arose in that team approach. And uh, as is the case in the military, when you are in a chaotic situation, there has to be a clear-cut responsibility chain in place ahead of time. This is the rank structure that we have in the military. Everybody knows immediately who's in charge, who has to call the shots. Now, good leaders function in teams. They bring information from all the other people that are involved. Uh, but eventually, someone has to make the decision, and sometimes it has to be made very quickly. So that's the way it works in families, too. Uh, and in those cases, the husband is the one that has to be the final choice maker as to what we're going to do. Now, every time I bring it up, I warn the husbands, don't get all full of yourselves because of that, because that happened to keep husbands from blaming their wives anymore, like Adam did at the very beginning. He threw her under the proverbial bus the first chance he got. Uh, and so God basically says this to husbands. Look, husbands, you and your wife, when you make choices together, if you don't agree, you have to choose what the choice is going to be. If you choose your way and it blows up in your face, I'm holding you accountable. If you choose her way and it blows up in your face, I'm holding you accountable. So husbands are always accountable for every choice that gets made in the family. Okay, that's the way it works. Uh, so families are the base unit of the church. So in the church, it is the gentlemen, uh, typically the fathers, uh, the husbands in these families that take the leadership roles. 
that do the speaking and the preaching in the worship service. Now, one more thing before I go back to the text. There has been a cultural difference over time so that what we think of as the worship service is similar to what they had as their weekly assembly service as well. And so it's very formalized. Uh, we have uh, group preach, or excuse me, we have group singing, and we have people who are praying on behalf of the entire body. Uh, the preacher gets up at some point, uh, and the word is read either by him or a reader, and everybody attends to it. And then the preacher offers application explanation and application about the scripture of the day. And so there's very little personal interaction uh, during the worship service. It's a group. It's a corporate thing. Now, we do have teaching times like Sunday school or Wednesday night or Sunday night or in-home Bible studies, small groups, that were much more informal, and they did have that back in the first century, but those were typically held in smaller groups in homes. And we know that in those forums, this idea of the women not talking officially did not hold forth. How do we know that? Well, for an example, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, they took Apollos, remember, out of a synagogue service. They took him home, and the two of them, male and female, husband and wife, taught him better about the Word of God. So they took him out of a formal setting into a more informal setting, and both male and female were involved in the teaching process. Uh, so the things that we're seeing here, I believe, are applied more to our Sunday morning worship services, our worship assemblies, whereas uh, our less informal Bible studies, I don't think it does apply as much there. Uh, so let's get back to the purposes here for this. Uh, Paul says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, so that's tied in with family relationship. I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. One other aspect to be brought in here is that the word for woman, when it appears in close context with the word for man here, often indicates that the words wife and husband are meant. And uh, that's a possibility, that that's in mind as well. So Paul might be writing here, I do not permit a wife to teach or to exercise authority over a husband. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Uh, now, the reasons that he gives next are all from the book of Genesis. And that makes them non-cultural. That makes them more universal. Verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Paul uses this as an example in another passage as well. 
that in the order of creation, the husband or man was the senior member. He was slightly older, in other words, than Eve. And so Paul says that is a reason for the structure in a family. But I think it's verse 14 that's a more telling one. Adam was not deceived, and I think we should put first, because that's certainly what's being implied here. Uh, But the woman was deceived first and became a transgressor. And so Eve was the one that made the free will choice first to go into sin. She then passed that opportunity on to Adam, and he joined in with it. Both of them sinned. Both of them were accountable, but because of the order that it happened, that came into play when God established which of them was going to be the uh, senior team leader later. Now, I, I always tell you, I think the fact that Adam tried to blame Eve also comes into play, uh, so that Uh, God chose Adam out, basically saying, because you listened to the voice of your wife and not of your God, this is what's happening next. And uh, then the penalties start getting assessed, including uh, the establishment of the husband-wife team situation that we've been talking about here. Now, Paul feels the necessity at this point to... uh, Make it clear that this has nothing to do with the value, the eternal value of women. Uh, This is just a matter of fallout from Genesis chapter 3. Verse 15, he says, Yet she, meaning women generally, will be saved through childbearing. Now, that can be a confusing wording. Some people have taken that to mean that women can be saved by giving birth to children. And that most certainly is not what God had in mind here. Um, If that's a mechanism of salvation, then, wow, um, a lot of men are in trouble uh, that can't be saved because they can't give birth. Uh, Now, the other wrong understanding of this is to say that women will be saved through the process of salvation, meaning they won't die. Uh, They'll be brought through safely to the other side of the childbearing process. And of course, we have plenty of stories to indicate that's not what's meant here. Uh, Immediately, I think about Rachel dying in childbirth in the Old Testament. Uh, She certainly was not saved uh, through that process. She gave up her life. Uh, So that is not what this means. Uh, I think it's helpful to be much more precise in the grammar here uh, coming from the Greek language. Let me read to you that same phrase uh, in the more literal form that I see it in the Greek. Yet she will be saved through the childbearing. Now, as soon as I added that article, which is present in the Greek phrase, 
uh, it changed the whole meaning for you, didn't it? Because what did you instantly think of? Right, the childbearing of Jesus Christ. Uh, that Jesus was born in fulfillment of the promise that started in the Garden of Eden that the seed of woman would crush the serpent's head, right? Isn't that what you thought of? Uh, it is the bringing of Jesus into this world as our Savior in fulfillment of that promise that Paul has in mind here. And that's what saves all women. It's what saves all men. They have to come into direct contact with Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And then they need to stick with him, uh, which is the rest of the verse. Uh, this is one of those passages that I try to emphasize when I come across them um, that shows once saved, always saved, is not uh, a reasonable um, Bible teaching. Uh, we are expected to maintain relationship with God and with other people who are believers. And so Paul writes here that she, meaning women generically, will be saved through the childbearing, that is through the, the story of Jesus Christ, how he came into this world as a child but grew up and became the suffering Savior. If... See the conditionality here? They'll be saved if they continue in faith, that's faith in Jesus, in love, which is one of the things that marks Christians in their activity, and holiness. Holiness is kind of a fancy church word, isn't it? Uh, holiness is about being like God. Remember God said, be holy as I am holy. And he means by that, be like me. Have my character, have my qualities. Do things my way. So women and men can be saved through Jesus Christ, provided they stick with his faith, they stick with his love, they stick with his holiness, along with self-control. Uh, self-control has to do with an intentional maintenance of relationship. And I find it very interesting that the fruit of the Spirit, which I often remind you um, we should have this memorized, begins with love and ends with self-control. Let's do it together. Uh, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All Christians need to stick with that. Stick with the fruit of the Spirit. Maintain relationship with God. Maintain relationship with others so that they will continue under the salvation of the child who was born at Bethlehem, who grew up and died as our Savior and rose as our Lord at Jerusalem. We've got just a little bit left time-wise uh, before uh, we close up today. Uh, so let's uh, do a quick introduction to what comes next in this letter. Remember Paul told Timothy, 
that he was supposed to be taking care of business at the church there at Ephesus, probably the church larger in the area of uh, Asia, province of Roman, uh, of Roman time. Uh, and the church needs solid leaders. The church needs men to look up to who are taking care of business for Jesus Christ. And so Paul gives Timothy the qualifications. That's usually how we refer to it. I actually like descriptors. Uh, He gives them the descriptors of a solid leader for the church. He says this, chapter 3, verse 1. This saying is trustworthy. So you you can use this as foundational material. If anyone aspires, that is, desires, wants to take on uh, the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, overseer, some of your versions probably have bishop there. Uh, It's actually the Greek word episkopos, which is where we get episcopalian from. Uh, uh, Episkopos is, is made up of compound word or compound words from Greek, epi, which is upon or over, and uh, scopus, which is to look. So that's where we get our little word here in English Standard Version, overseer. It's a supervisor. That's, that's the Latin equivalent, right? The, the, uh, the leader that's keeping a watch over everything. Uh, bishop is just a slurring of the word uh, episkopos, uh, over time. And so the, this position, its primary descriptor is someone that's keeping an eye out for Christ's church. It's very much the job description of a shepherd, which is the term that I like to use. Uh, the idea of somebody that's keeping watch over the flock of Jesus Christ. Now, if somebody, some man is looking at that responsibility as something they'd like to do, well, Paul says, you're wanting to do something important, something noble. And uh, really, the emphasis needs to be from the very beginning here, that these leadership positions are not power places. If you're looking to be the boss of the church, stop it. These positions are protectorates. They are looking out for these folks and trying to keep them from getting messed up and taken advantage of. And so everything that we're going to read about uh, the descriptors here is to make sure you've got the cream of the crop guys Uh, that are taking up this role. So mark your spot right there. We will be back next time we get into the Word.